growing up in the 80s we were all told to go off and be independent be separate earn your own income have a wonderful shiny life and have kids and good friends do all the kind of social activities as well as run your house and that just to me is it's too much and I kind of thought this book is a way of celebrating like a quiet way of living Hello and welcome to another episode of the Country Life Podcast. I am James Fisher, your host, and this week I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by a uh, real personal hero of mine, uh, Helen Rebanks, a farmer's wife in Cumbria, as she would describe herself, and indeed has described herself in her latest book, The Farmer's Wife. Uh, She works with her husband, James. They look after 500 sheep, 20 chickens, 50 cattle, six dogs, a pony, and most importantly, four children. Welcome, Helen. Oh, thank you very much, James. It's nice to speak to you. Oh, it's very nice to speak to you too. Um, Shall we start off with, and this is sort of a question I like to ask most guests, your sort of relationship with the countryside. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? How did you first get to know rural Britain, so to speak? Well, I, I grew up very close to where we live now, just about six miles away on mm. mixed dairy, beef, um, sheep farm, and my granddad bred Clydesdale horses. So I haven't moved very far in my lifetime. So <laughs> we had uh, four years away down mm. in James and I, when he was studying and I went to work down there. But my childhood was in and around the farm. We didn't... so. It's very close to the Lake District. It's at Penrith. It's on the edge. Yeah. But we weren't um, going to the lake very often and we didn't climb any mountains. So we weren't that kind of family. Everything was centred around milking the cows, the seasonal lambing, um, carving and silaging, mm. etc. And everything revolved around that farmhouse and life in the house. Mum opened it up as a bed and breakfast Um probably when I was about 10 years old and then I got involved helping her working in the house and yeah earning a bit of pocket money when she would pay me <laughs> pay me mm-hmm. a bit of um housekeeping and serving breakfast and such like and the farm was just that was just life that was what I knew um it was it was work it was stressful it was busy it was uh yeah not much downtime really <laughs> Very good. Um, before we sort of do a, a deep dive into your book, I just want to ask you quickly about sort of the the title of the book and and what what inspired you to name it the Farmer's Wife because it sort of it frames you as a as a secondary uh, person to the farmer. It's just by the by the way the grammar works, if that makes sense. But in a way, the book is about how. And certainly from what I understand from reading about how actually that is such an important role and not not something to be ashamed of. Is that is that correct? 100%. Yes, I would say um, I've been very intentional with the title. Hmm. I have put The Farmer's Wife front and centre. And it's it, yes, it's a book about me, but it's also a book about the women I'm from yeah. and the lives they've led. And the work that goes on to to run these family farms up and down the country. Um, and I'm very proud to do that work. 
and I haven't always I haven't looked for front and center stage in any of the things I've done. I've been very um, proud, happy, content, fulfilled doing the work that I'm doing. Not to say it's easy, and not to say there aren't hard times, and I've shared those ups and downs certainly in the book, very honestly. But I think writing it was kind of a reflecting on the choices I'd made from, you know, teenage years of thinking I was want to be an artist and move away and yeah. do anything, anything but do the work that my grandma and mum did. And then coming to realise through my 20s that modern life as I saw it, moving away from the farm and going into a city and working in different jobs, um, mm didn't fill me up, didn't spark me joy, didn't give any any of those feelings of of fulfillment or reward or satisfaction. It was quite often very lonely, quite often very empty. Um and it didn't it just lots of things didn't sit well with me in those different jobs I did. Um yeah. and once we moved back up to this area and we got married and had started our own family. Everything sort of fell into place for me of where I kind of saw, you know, saw how I saw life really and just what was important and the values that I'd grown up with were I really rooted in me. But I mm. live by those values, not just, oh, that's, you know, I think those are great and I'm going to spend my days doing other things because that's what we have to do to make money. I'm, I was very determined to look after the kids at home and not work outside and sort of hold modern life to one side and go, this this matters, this is important. And the more I learn about children and connection and um, psychology and all sorts of things of who we are and where we've come from. And part of the writing the book was exploring my childhood and how I was with, as, um, with my mum, my relationship learned so much along the way and I just really we all have to make difficult decisions and we live in a world that needs two outside incomes now usually to even yeah. barely as me I completely understand that that at the time when I 20 years ago when I started thinking about having kids it was it just all fell into place for me that being at home with them and then when we moved to the farm um you know, creating a life here that was very rooted in food, t family table, picking up kids from school and things and being here with them. That just mattered so much to me. So I've held on to that. And, and also in writing, I've kind of reflected on it and, th and said, and this goes back to your question about the title, there aren't many books that reflect my life and my kind of experience as a mum. I think... Growing up in the 80s, we were all told to go off and women, be independent, be separate, earn your own income and have a wonderful, shiny life and have kids and, you know, look after yourself, have good friends, do all the kind of social activities as well as kind of run your house. And that just to me is having it all is doing it all. And that just it was it's too much. And I kind of thought this book is a way of celebrating like a quiet way of living that is all too often forgotten because it's not it's not paid and it's not celebrated it's not center stage but actually it's how still how a lot of people 
experience life and I wanted to share my stories and and what I'm finding is I'm connecting with readers all across the, like from message from Chicago yesterday a stay-at-home dad that is living very much like I am while his, his wife's going out to work and he's at home and juggling that load and I think writing this has been able to kind of just put its front and center really um, I, I sort of note having you know when I started your book that you sort of make it front and center quite quickly that you when you were young you were like the last thing I want to do is be a farmer's wife you know and it's you weren't sort of mean about your 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 mother and grandmother but there was a certain way you described sort of I don't know that sort of teenage angst of like look at these you know women all they do is just you know work in these farmhouses all day they completely they completely sort of you know I don't want to do that I want to go to art college I want to go and teach English in France and it's I sort of I then particularly love how without giving too much of the book away that sort of almost all changes the second you catch a sideways glimpse from James at the pub one <laughs> and my question is you know why are men so handsome no it's uh <laughs> it's 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 I, I guess my question is, you know, I love the bit where you sort of you two fall in love and figure your lives out together. And sort of how how important was meeting James to sort of you then becoming supposedly the thing that you didn't want to become? Well, I th I think at that stage we didn't know what which way life was going to go and which direction it was going to go. He was certainly struggling um to make make a future on the family farm um financially etc it was really tricky for them to find a full-time income for James um he knew he had to go somewhere else and do something else to be able to earn any money to be able to, for us to live around here to, for both of us to pitch in and and make a go of things to live where we grew up because I don't know how much you know about the prices of properties in the Lake District. They certainly are. They they were ridiculous 20 years ago, never mind mm. now. Um, it's quite scary looking at the future for our kids of whether they'll be able to stay around here and live around here. Um, so when I met him, we didn't know what, what was in store. And it wasn't like I was going from one one idea into another. It sort of, mm. we grew together. We grew, you know, we were... I was 18 when I met him and we worked things out as we went along. But we, what was really clear after being away for a while was that we wanted to start family back up here in the lakes and be close to both families and have that support network, um, mm. which has been incredible. And I don't know how families do manage, how couples do manage with kids without family support. Um, I think there's lots of things wrong in the world at the moment and part you know the more we move around it's, it can be good but it can also put huge pressure on individuals to manage and do particularly motherhood quite mm. often alone and I was lucky that I did have family around and then we I mean James has always been interested in in books and mm. all lots of things other than the farm and so have I so we've brought that together um i would it would be taking him off to art galleries on weekends when we saved up enough cash to go off to mm. 
I don't know, Barcelona or somewhere or Prague or go and see some things. Um, so we've just kind of made a life that is creative and interesting together that is very heavy on the, the books and the creation of texts and literature, all sorts of things like that, as well as the farming. Um, so but was, that, was that sort of in response, whether sort of intentional or unintentional to, you know, people potentially thinking that farmers don't, aren't particularly well read or like that? Was it sort of a sort of way to show, hey, actually, we're, you know, we're just as smart. James is a double first from Oxford just because he's rolling around with sheep all day. And, you know, just because I'm in the yeah. kitchen all day doesn't mean we're not. Yeah, there is that element there of both of our work. Basically. Yeah. Stereotypes can be very limiting can't they and we're all lots of things we're a multitude of interests and influences and i i think life's like totally boring if you see that you, know, <laughs> you you see somebody's a builder and you just expect a certain thing from them and certain reactions yeah. um i'm always interested in what's beneath the surface of something and what's and I hope to create stories in the book, scenes in the book that are layered, really, that have different meanings. There might be a story about, a, a, you know, the dog eating the birthday cake. It is, on the surface, just a story about the dog eating the birthday cake and the drama of that, you know, having these children around me and kind of having to pull it together and being really upset but at the same time it's a story about love and connection with our kids and baking with our kids and the fact that the end result it didn't matter that the dog had eaten it it mattered that i'd done something with the, the girls that day yeah preparation for a family gathering the next day and that they remember that as one of like their memories of their childhood and i i think as a mum i've often i go along thinking what what will they remember? Which bits of their childhood will they, you know, reflect on as good and bad and all sorts? And I think as parents, it's, you're constantly wondering, what are we doing? Are we? Mm. How's this impacting them? Um, and I, I, I re I'm re interested in all sorts of things all the time. And I think that yeah, going back to the title, it is that intentional title that there's much more there than than say what the society did, would say is the stereotypical yeah. farmer's wife of course i bake and cook and make the meals and run the paperwork and do all sorts of things um on the farm and who's to say that the farmer is more important than the farm that's just a constant i've grown up with strong women capable women that are can hold an awful lot and multi like multitask all the time and juggle and i see that on farms around me a lot of the women make a lot of the decisions mm. um do they get any credit for it do they do they want to be front and center no a lot when i've done some book talks up and down the country recently the the women that will come to talk to me will be quite often quite quiet quite reserved quite private um mm. but i didn't feel that that was that was their lives were celebrated particularly or important um in the modern world we live in that celebrates a lot of all sorts of 
Uh, you sort of briefly touched on all the things uh, wrong with the world, um, which we'll, we'll sort of get <laughs> get to in a little bit. But I, I just want to, yeah, I just wanted to talk about you know you, you talk about sort of memories, you know, that your children will have of growing up. How <clears throat> when you for you writing the book, what was it like sort of going back and going through your memories of growing up? Oh, it was um, emotional and. It was cathartic, I would say, mm. and I thoroughly loved the writing process. I just like totally lost myself in it. Um, mm. And I, I think Joan Didion describes writing as that she didn't know what was there till she started writing, and and that was how it was for me. I didn't. There was. All sorts of things swirling around when I put the book proposal together, and that took me most of a year through the pandemic year, and yeah. that was a catalyst for pausing, kind of the rushing around and doing all the swimming lessons and the chasing of things and people coming to and from the farm. That was a quiet year for us, as it was for most people, but it opened up this possibility that I might create something of my own. And then when I started putting together the scenes I started with the marmalade making and that I mean it just it just opened up kind of reflecting on the past for me and writing I mean I'd, I'd say to anybody listening it writing is just such a tool that we could all use journaling or thinking about um what's on our minds of how to process that and quite often you don't know what's there till you start and then you look back on it and you, there's a lot an awful lot of mm. ed goes on to produce a book like this that you can hone and and craft and it was magical put, doing all of that um i loved it yeah but it was emotional at times and thinking about my mum mm. and her background you know that little girl that she was and what she went through was not having a mum that was there for her and I was asking her questions now and again on the phone. I'd ring her up and say, because we weren't seeing much of each other that year. And, yeah. And it just opened up all sorts of things. It was, it, it's been important for me. Um, Do you think, I was going to ask, you know, from, from the perspective of your kids, I mean, there's obviously lots of very, very happy moments in the book, but there's some some sad moments, you know, as well. Do you think, for your children it's it's important for them to see that you and james aren't perfect that you struggle with things as well very much so and uh, one of the words in the book that cropped up now and again that my editor and i had conversation was about perfect and perfect yeah. and whether i was trying to strive for that when i was younger as a younger mum, and i was maybe more stressed about things than i am now Certainly by the fourth child that we've got, I'm just yeah. like, let it go. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Um, and yeah, I'm t it, it, showing them that things are up and down. And the most important thing for me is repairing because we're he only human. Yeah. We're all going to have bad days. And we're like I've described in, in, in the book, how there's never going to be all six of us at any one point on an absolute even kill with every <laughs> like that's so rare yeah it's yeah. going to be somebody that's a bit too tired a bit hungry a bit annoyed with something 
a bit low, a bit fed up. Yeah. Or somebody's going to be absolutely bouncing happy. And it, just that dynamic of a, a family of six, it's important for them to see if things do go wrong, that we are honest and we re reflect on it and we repair it. Because yeah. I've learned, and, oh, it's just massive that you can own the situation, what you've said in any given moment, and you can say, that wasn't great. And I did that because of this, or I said that because of that. And that's on me. And I'm really sorry. And hopefully that's, I think that's the biggest thing for me with parenting is that there's, there isn't perfection out there. There's just, um, mm. we're all human, messy minds and messy, you know, but trying to work together as a team that we all are going in the same direction and we're supporting each other and we're there for each other is hugely important. Mm. No, I, I, I really enjoyed that sort of discussion on perfection because reading the book you talk about, you know, when your mum started the B&B &B side of things and how she, you know, she would literally turn away customers unless the, the pillowcases were ironed and you're sort of stressing <laughs> out about her need for perfection. And then and sort of reading your your part where then all of a sudden you sort of almost seem to be sliding the same way and you're yeah. sort of like, no, no, don't no, do don't this. Do don't it do it. it. Yeah, don't yeah. do it. <laughs> let's, let's move on to sort of the state of farming as a whole. Let's, let's take on the big picture. Obviously, you and your husband are sort of very well known as as and you know, talk about a lot in the book as well, which is centered around food. And you're very well known for your regenerative farming practices. Mm. How, you know, you describe cooking, shopping and eating in the book as, uh, as both curiously political and powerful and radical, which I quite liked. Can you, can you sort of briefly tell us what's curiously political and powerful and radical about <laughs> cooking, shopping and eating? In two minutes. Um, yeah, <laughs> or as long as you want. Take two hours. Thanks. You know. um, I, as very much like the farmer's wife role has been overlooked, I think the role of somebody in the household cooking food mm. has been totally overlooked. We outsource it more and more to supermarket meals that are prepared and organised for us. Or, I don't know, we can't get deliveries of food up here, but if we go away, you see all the apps and it's, yeah. Know, things that can get delivered to your door um and then there's all these meal box prepped up things that you can get i think I've, yeah like we we outsource so much because we don't place enough importance on sourcing ingredients and cooking from scratch anymore and and that so you take that and you look at the roots of it well more people are out of work aren't they they're so so busy to try and make ends meet and then generally it's considered too expensive to buy raw ingredients to cook from scratch and that drives me absolutely wild because hang on a minute what's happened to the the prices for our, our mortgages our rent our electricity all all the bills have gone up and then food is the only variable in that that people can have a little bit of agency on what they choose yeah. And what's available at lower price is quite often low, nutritionally low, grown from uh, terrible farming practices that wrecks mm. the planet and packaged up. And it, we know so much about ultra processed food now. And we're, yeah, everybody's on a journey of learning how bad this is of 
what it's doing to our gut health mm. and all sorts of diseases leading from that. So the whole thing's wrapped up together for me and it comes back down to basic sitting down with your family, whatever your family situation is, around a table at home and cooking from raw ingredients. Yeah, That's how it's curiously political. It's social. It's it, all of these these meals that I'm making around the, and putting on the table for our family mean that we're having conversations about all sorts of things. Mm. We're not coming in at different times and grabbing something from town in a packet. We're tr yeah. I'm trying to do this, and it's it's not really that exciting a lot of the time. It's quite dull, and it can be a drudgery. And it's how you see it. It's how you frame it. I think we have to start putting importance on that, even if it's one meal a day or it's a couple of meals a week where people get together and cook from scratch. That could be a huge leap forward. Um, we have an American friend comes over and stays with us, and he he said the first he came about five six years ago, and he said he couldn't put his finger on what was different about our kids from the kids of his friends that he knew. Yeah. Until after spending two or three days with us and said, they look you in the eye and they will talk to you and they'll actually eat a meal with you and laugh and joke and I'll be a bit sulky and complain that they don't want to eat broccoli or something. I don't know. Yeah. And that I still do that. Everybody's around the table. And in America, we now, you know, the stats are that lots of kids are just eating from Burger Joints and in the car or grabbing something from the fridge that's processed mm. and ready and they're not having these meals together as families. Do, do we want to copy that as a no. society? No. Who is inspiring people to go back to family tables and simple meals that aren't complicated lists of ingredients? And it can be, it's as boring as you make it, isn't it? Mm. And you can create something very simple and it can be very dull or you can you know use your imagination and and jazz things up a bit and there's all sorts of ingredients we can add in but let's think about where things are grown yeah part of the connection farming here and you mentioned we're into regenerative farming uh, we've been on a journey for the last 10 years on this farm of thinking about how we look after the soil first and and that once we we're looking after the soil and the grazing, managing grazing in a specific way, mm. it's it's a knock-on effect because we're growing incredibly healthy livestock without antibiotics. Our cattle don't have any medicines. We don't buy in any bought feed, so we're not relying on that coming in from across the world. We're using the grass in our pastures from sunlight and rainfall, natural ecosystem of the farm. Um, so cutting out costly inputs to the farm helps economically, but it also means that the food that we're producing here, the Belter Galloway beef and the Herdrick lamb and mutton, is extremely healthy and nutritious and should be celebrated as one of the finest products you can get. And because it's not only contributing to our health, it's contributed to the health of our land. Um, cattle in a mixed farming system where they get 
we're using them as a tool to mob graze our fields means that we're we're building organic matter and that soil health is improved with that livestock there and it's a huge carbon sink and that's often yeah. overlooked in the very binary debates about food and it gets me really frustrated it see that we should all go plant-based we should get rid of um meat but no let's think about this in a totally different way my stance would be we need more grazing animals on arable fields in rotation yeah and i don't know how much you know about wild farmed or what they're doing down there with their um wheat and grain pr production they're, they're putting livestock into the mix yeah golden hoof that manure into the and it into the soil and it also helps when that we're cl clearing these crops and and that those bites on those crops that need it at this a certain time um to cut off using pesticides and controls and things like that so that's a uh, long long answer there's there's all sorts going on there yeah it's complicated isn't it things aren't ever binary no. we should do this and just do this i think i've got a holistic sort of view of it all now which starts with the power i have in what we what what i spend the money on and how i cook it is that sort of understanding of if you if you're buying ingredients from scratch and cooking them from scratch it's sort of you have to and you intrinsically will develop a better understanding of what food is and where it comes from mm-hmm Mm -hmm. oh, I think I think that's very important. You talk about how you wrote the the book during the pandemic. It was you know farmers were sort of seen as you know rightfully in my opinion sort of key workers keeping the nation running you know along with nurses and train drivers and things like that. I don't know if if it's fair to say that people don't believe that anymore, but it's certainly the case that farmers themselves feel that they've been put on the back seat and taken advantage of in, in recent years. And, you know, we I saw footage from a from a large meeting of wealth farmers just last night, you know, and we seen obviously see what's happening across the continent with protests. You know, it what what do you as someone who's part of that community feel farmers are so A angry about and B, what what should we do? If there is a simple answer, which there probably isn't. Um farmers are angry. Farmers are frustrated. Farmers are struggling. Some families are going to food banks because they haven't got enough money. They're borrowed up to the hilt with all sorts of um, machinery and equipment. It's a real mess. You know, after Brexit, we had an opportunity that, the, right or wrong, you know, coming out of Europe yeah. um, to make things better in this country. And it's got worse and worse and worse because the, there isn't enough value put on the importance of healthy food and healthy environment together for the population. Yeah. There just isn't enough support. They've withdrawn BPS bit by bit by bit. We've seen that decrease, which is the basic, for anybody listening, basic payments. Mm. Every farmer in the country got paid regardless of what they did on the land. We've. They say we're moving towards the more environmental land management payments. Yet there aren't enough Natural England staff to implement these schemes. There aren't enough, there isn't enough money. And mm. it's been um, rolled out to farmers quickly enough, yeah. uh, efficiently, anything like that. There's, there, there, there are some schemes and things 
could get better, but there's nowhere near enough resources to make that happen quick enough. We're in a climate crisis, biodiversity yeah. crisis, everything's disaster and farmers are being asked to still produce food but yet we're told being blamed for the climate all situation and what the devastation on the land mm. at the same time as the government's bringing in cheap imports from the rest of the world and undercutting us and the supermarket has such a monopoly on price and what they pay farmers so yeah I know you probably followed Riverford's campaign recently, Get Fair About Farming. There are so many problems with the supply chain and we're so close to having empty shelves in this country. Yeah. But why aren't we supporting farmers properly to produce food and look after the environment well? No wonder farmers are at a loss and there's all-time suicide rates is 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 so devastating. People mm. So much pressure to do so many different things and not being supported in the right way and often you know i've i've spoken you know jake fines i interviewed a few years ago and he spoke very eloquently on the subject often it was from farmers doing something they were told to do you know in the Completely. 1950s they were told to grow as much as they can as quickly as they can yes and now they feel they're being vilified for just yeah. doing Ever what they were had told. access to pesticides and fertilizer and told to bang it on and and grow and bigger herds of cows and let's produce food for the nation yeah and that's led us down a path that has got us to this place but that is because the public have wanted and needed cheaper food every single year and it it's a race to the bottom isn't it where nobody wins that the public don't win if their food's cheaper than ever they're just mm. eating junk like from bad farming that's not nutritious you know we things have gone so badly wrong and it it's in dire straits mm. um and part of putting my li little tiny voice into this is to say these things really matter mm. they, they really matter for our future for our kids future and that mums in the household whoever is the mum that's doing the shopping and the cooking they have huge power in that those choices and we shouldn't feel resigned to thinking that we can't do anything to change things um however small we are we can we can make a difference in how we vote how we shop and how we cook that food and and how we bring our families up and how i think that going back to that radical point you made made before it is yeah. a radical act um yeah, we've almost sort of feels like we've almost come full circle when you were describing just the the simple act of cooking from scratch and sitting down with your with your family f for a meal you know something that would have been viewed as so traditional 50 years ago is now actually something that is like you say quite radical yes yeah it is quite radical and it's important and we have huge power in that um and i want to celebrate it and and e and also share that it isn't always easy it's not yeah. you know, be honest about it let's be honest with ourselves um of what we're putting in those shopping baskets in the supermarket we all go to self-checkout tills now or get it delivered to home nobody's there scanning it or put the shopkeepers not kind of even <laughs> glancing over it so yeah ha we have to be honest with ourselves what we're eating don't we um 
and so, the the knock on effect it has on our environment. And if if at all possible, anybody can go to their local butcher, local farmers market. I I think it's it has a huge impact on farmers if they can sell directly to the public. Like going back to COVID times, farmers were seen as really important. What's gone wrong? I mean, it, it's it's not in a good place right now, and I don't know what we can do about it other than use the voices that we have and amplify, you know, good practice and hope that the people make decisions in like the, the heads of the supermarkets and the government will wake up at some point. Well, obviously, the next the next generation is Im- important as well. And I know I know that you do a lot of uh, sort of educational work on on the farm as well, sort of taking schools around and showing showing kids how how you do everything. I particularly like how you describe in the book, you know, sticking your hands in cow pats and showing them beetles and all that kind of thing. I mean, how, how important is that sort of educational work? Vital. It's vital for the next generation to learn. Um, I think. I did basic biology and science at school and I didn't really take it in. But when you get kids out on in a field and you talk about photosynthesis and the grass being a solar panel and every plant and, and herb and flower and tree and and thinking about um, how it's how an ecosystem works and habitat mm. that we need on farms for different creatures. For me, that's just magic when they they the kids are learning about that in the setting of being on a farm and realizing that we can produce incredibly healthy food and have incredibly biodiverse you know uh, natural habitats for all sorts and yeah uh, it's it's hugely important what's really quite interesting is the kids come along and they know about a lot of things already all right but some of the parents their minds are blown. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exciting for me. Parent helpers coming along and having conversations about what they're eating at home or, um, you know, chicken is... Uh, I've had one conversation with a parent about chicken and how she mm. doesn't, doesn't really like thinking about baby lambs, but they would eat a lot of chicken at home. And I'm like, so the chicken <laughs> fed on grain in a shed. Yeah is somehow better um, than something that's grazed for two, three years, slowly grown outside, mm. has a great life on the fells, no um, bought-in feeds or antibiotics or chemicals at all involved in that food process, and it's really nutritious and delicious. And we've moved away from eating mutton and lamb in the country, haven't we? And Yeah. And why we're at, we grow loads of wonderful sheep? Um, I don't understand. I think I did a recent conversation with Ivan Day, the food historian. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, such an advocate for Herdwick um, and how how it's the the best food in the in the world. <laughs> yeah, and also you can make clothes out of it, which you can't yeah. do with chickens. You know, completely. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I guess I sort of got. I have one more question for you, uh, Helen, and then I'll I'll let you go. So much of this book, um, for those listening, it's an amazing read about Helen's life, but it's also a very good cookbook, which is very exciting 
specifically for me because I love cooking and I'm looking forward to trying so many of the recipes. I just want to know what's your what's your favorite recipe? I have a lot of different things in there for different reasons. It's a real mix mm. of food um, because the the recipes came from the stories. Yeah. So moving through my life, there was different things I was making at different times. And I would say favorite thing I like to make is the beef shin stew. That's just classic. Um, everybody will, or the chicken pie, everybody will sit around the table and eat one yeah. and I don't have to make a slight different variation for different tastes. Um, and then there's quite a few baking recipes in there. There's my grandma's ginger biscuits, um, my mum's marmalade recipe. There's lots of favorites. I can't, yeah. It's like your children, James. You can't <laughs> you can't pick a favorite. You need things at different times, don't you, for how you're feeling. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, Helen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been a it's been a really enlightening chat about the book and farming as a whole, which I know a lot of our listeners care about, and they'll be really interested to hear your views. So, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very very much. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for the listener for tuning in uh, please come back again next week um, and thank you very much as always to Toby our editor producer thank you very much and goodbye <laughs>